Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. We're continuing in our series from Tim Keller's book, Hope in Times of Fear. And we're on chapter 10, if you're following along or reading along. But before we go any further, let's pray. Jesus, giver of light and life, will you come now and enlighten our hearts and our minds? Would you give us today our daily bread? We invite you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of chapter 10 is Hope for Justice. Hope for Justice in today's world. I have to confess, it's a little like praying for world peace. Can it ever happen in our time? I'm reminded that for the believer, hope is not wishful thinking. This is not us. Hope is the assurance of things not yet seen. And hope is the assurance of those things yet to come. To knit those two thoughts together, to knit that thought together with Psalm 34 that was read earlier, um, hope to bring us to an understanding. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Is this on too? We could turn it off and just have me here. Thanks. Um, okay. His praise will continually be in my mouth. That's not true, is it? God's praise is not always in our mouths, is it? At least it's not in mine. Lots of times what's in my mouth is grumpy. It's angry. Once put you in your place. I'm an eight, sadly. Anyway, so this notion that God's praise is ever to be in our mouth, and it's something that we're not there yet. Does that mean I failed? Well, yes, it does. And no, because we have this gracious, loving God who knows what we are made of, and he's ever molding and shaping us, and he sees the end product, so he's full of all kinds of excitement about that. But what it is is the standard of holiness that we are ever called to move towards. We're not there yet, but it's the direction that we are heading, ever growing in the praise of God being in our mouths. Now, as Christians, it's really good for us to know what the standard is. There is a holy standard out there, not standards as if they're bits and pieces and we can all work on this standard and ignore those. No, it's a standard of holiness and one day, it will mean that his praise will continually be in our mouths. Likewise, part of that standard of holiness is that we hope for justice in this world and ever move towards it. Keller writes that Jesus rose from the dead as the first installment of the power of God. 
which will renew the world at the end of history. And therefore, Christ's resurrection helps us define and promote justice. Much of what we hope for lies in the future when creation itself will be renewed. The new heavens and the new earth, a restored creation. That's the standard set before us when all effects of sin and decay will be healed and the Lord's praise will be ever in our mouths. Now, there will be physical liberation from disease and aging and death, as well as liberation from fear, guilt, that all-pervasive shame and despair. Philippians 3 tells us we're going to receive resurrected bodies. I don't know, that's got to be good news. 2 Peter 3.13 says the new earth will be filled with justice. No more human power struggles. So with this holy standard in mind of the new creation, the resurrection actually should influence how Christians are to regard various forms of decay. Injustice among them. So how do we live out the resurrection hope for justice? First, we wait. We wait for the return of Christ and all things being restored to the original design that the Holy Three created. But we are not to be passive as we wait in the face of injustice. The liberating power of God is here now through Christ and his presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Second, we have not been saved just to be safe. We have been saved to serve. And here I always have a sense of preaching to the choir at Advent because so many of our family serve in the kingdom to bring justice We've been saved to serve as individuals and corporately. And third, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of justice. So if the kingdom is here, justice is here. As Anglicans, we have a concern for social justice that unites spiritual formation with kingdom action. Why those two? Because it's what Jesus did. We are told that early in the morning, Jesus went to a solitary place to pray, as was his custom. Not something he did occasionally, but his custom. It was his practice. And then, and only then, Jesus preached the good news to the poor and set the captives free. We're called corporately and individually to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, and move consistently in the direction of a life shaped by Jesus. When Moses gave the Ten Commandments to Israel for the second time, that's found in Deuteronomy, he explained this, that obedience, the obedience of Israel to divine love 
the obedience of Israel to divine love was meant to be a witness to the world. What is true for Israel is true for us. Obedience to divine love is our witness to the world. We are called to be a witness, a witness that is often counter the culture, though as Father Jordan reminded me as I talked about this sermon with him, it's not always counter the culture. We are called to be an alternate society defined by love and justice. Keller offers three aims of justice, and I I want to highlight and celebrate some of the ways as a community we are living in to each of them. First, he says, Christian justice means equal treatment for all. And with that in mind, several of our members sponsor families transitioning out of homelessness through the Denver Rescue Mission. If that kind of gets you excited, talk with Father Jordan because he would love to invite you into that. Two, Christian justice means radical generosity. Advent has committed to increase the amount of our budget we give away by 1% each year until we reach 15%. Over the past years, we've given thousands of dollars to international and local ministries serving in Afghanistan, Ukraine, Haiti, and of course, Colorado. We've very recently begun supporting an Anglican church plant in an unreached people group in Cambodia. And all of this, all of this is because of your generous giving. So thank you. Third, Keller says that Christian justice is advocacy for those without power. We have many from our Advent family. I talked about the choir earlier. Here's a little breakdown. Advocating for those in need. We have family members combating sex trafficking. Others who are advocating for hurting children in the court system. Some are helping the homeless find employment. Others are volunteering with refugees. Some care for the spiritual and emotional wounds of people in pain through medicine, counseling, spiritual direction, and inner healing prayer. There are those who labor faithfully in schools to advocate for and empower young students The list continues. We live among a generous people. Having said all of that, I want to remind us, Jesus doesn't ask us to do everything. We all have limits. The body of Christ is called to embody the justice of Christ. None of us has the capacity to do everything. But recognize what you are doing. And ask Jesus to bless it. Remember the compassion child that you sponsor. Pray over the goats and chickens you sent at Christmas and will at the 4th of July to underserved families. Ask the Lord to 
bless the people that receive them. So those are individual distinctions that flow into our community. What about corporate responsibility to justice? Keller reminds us that in the Old Testament, God held families, groups, and nations corporately responsible for sins of others. This came home to me many years ago when I took my sons to visit some family friends in Singapore. And while we were there, we, I took my older son and our friends. We went to a spiritual warfare conference. At one point, various people groups were brought to the stage to kneel facing each other and ask for forgiveness on behalf of their nation's sin, their nation's injustice towards each other. There were just two or three people represented from each nation, and as we were in Asia, there were a lot of nations represented. And each, the, the purpose was always to ask forgiveness of each other on behalf of their nation's injustice. Until at last, all of the Americans present were asked to come forward. Every one of us. And we were all asked to kneel and face everyone in the audience, everyone in attendance, and ask them to forgive the United States for the harm we had caused their nations. It was a profound moment in time. I hasten to add that this was a spiritual act, not a political act. We were involved in spiritual warfare. We were coming against the power of darkness that would have human beings hate each other. All nations under God, all nations under God need forgiveness for their sins of injustice. Now, I realize opportunities to ask forgiveness of a nation do not happen for most of us. But we can. We can kneel before our Father in heaven and ask forgiveness for the mistakes. Human beings representing us as a nation, as a state, as a city, to be forgiven. Second Chronicles encourages us in this and gives us a model to follow. It says this, and it will be familiar. Perhaps it will become a daily practice. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We can all pray on behalf of our nation. Asking Jesus to forgive our nation for the sins of injustice. Much better time spent than ranting on Facebook. And in the forgiveness to restore our nation to himself. Now, Keller writes that while the Bible recognizes corporate responsibility and systemic evil, the greatest weight is actually put on individual responsibility. 
When it comes to responsibility for injustice, the Bible recognizes complexity. We use that word a lot. But it does not mean that there are no answers because something is complex. Sin and evil are very complicated. And that is why the resurrection is such good news. We need to learn to walk in it. We are called to live in the hope of what we can do now and live in the hope of what is yet to come. How do we know what God is calling us to as individuals and corporately? I'll suggest three ways I've found that the Lord speaks to me. I know he speaks to us all in different ways. I think these are pretty standard. I don't think they are at all unique. The first is prayer. Spending time in prayer, asking the Lord what he has for us individually and corporately. We may not hear in that time of prayer, but as we wait, we will see that Jesus will guide us. He has asked us to pray. He will guide us. He is faithful in that. We must ask. We must humble ourselves and pray. Two, Jesus speaks to us as we read his word. I've often had, and I know many, if not all of you, have had a text just jump out at you as direction for next steps or in granting understanding to a problem. The Word of God gives God vocabulary to talk with us. And three, opportunities and invitations he puts in front of us. Every once in a while, something just seems to come out of nowhere, and it's like, what? But you can immediately connect the dots and realize that opportunity, that invitation, is actually connected to the prayers you have been praying. So what is Jesus inviting you into? It may be something you're resisting, but is he inviting you into it? Here's where we as a body of Christ, I think, need to practice discerning with each other and not just for those who are discerning to be ordained. Are there people in Advent that you would invite into discerning with you an invitation you have received from Jesus? Is it from Jesus? Is it for now? Who will you invite to pray with you? Who will you invite to discern with you? Corporately, we are always listening for Jesus' invitation. What is Jesus inviting this family of believers into? We've asked this often, and I'll tell you where we often arrive is that the family of this church are so many are already on mission vocationally, in their volunteer time, that it seems there really isn't another place to go. There isn't any more room on the plate. We want to be discerning about possibilities. And we're not suggesting that more needs to be done than is already habit happening in each of our lives. But we must humble ourselves and pray. Are we being invited corporately into something? And I don't mean a, gee, wouldn't it be nice if we did such and such? We all have something that kind of piques our interest. 
but a corporate yearning. A corporate yearning to set the captives free in a particular way and a willingness among us to be the workers called to gather in the harvest. Now Keller reminds us that the church's first responsibility is to evangelize and disciple through the word of God. That's our first and most important opportunity. The death and resurrection of Jesus gives us, gives Christians, the resources to be present to our culture in a way that shares the good news and promotes justice for all people. There are answers. And most of you are sitting here. What is Jesus inviting us to do? Pray with me. Lord, we ask that you would make us instruments of your peace, that where there is hatred, let us sow love, where there is injury, pardon, where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.